This morning, if you will, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be focusing on verses 15 and 16 today, but I want to go back and read verses 11 through 16 in context so that we can understand exactly what verses 15 and 16 are implying, what Paul wants the church to know, what God wants us to hear today through his word. So if you're able, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head unto Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father God, this morning you have spoken to us in your word. And it is through the love that you pour out upon us through the blood of your Son, the love that you use through your Spirit to unite us together, that your church grows. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to us in your word exactly what our responsibility is as members of the body of Christ in unifying and tying together every aspect of your kingdom. Teach us how to grow in this. Not that we have programs that develop us, not that we have fundraising goals to go, which builds us up. There's something more here that builds up your church that is spiritual, that transcends us, but somehow we're still a part of it. And for that, God, I pray that you would teach us this morning and inspire us and unify us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians has been speaking about the unity in the body of Christ. And here at the end of this section, verses 15 and 16, Paul brings home the actual importance of God's intended purpose for the church. When we speak about building a church, we do not speak about building buildings per se, structures, even though last week I did bring out the importance of place. There is an importance about gathering in a place, having a place to inspire each other, to equip each other, to to build up each other so that the kingdom outside of the place can be affected and grown, right? So there's importance in place. But what Paul really intends for the church to understand here, and, and God speaking through these words, reminds us that there is something greater going on. Verses 11 through 14 that we've already talked about last week, let me summarize it to move into verses 15 here and 16, is that Paul reminds the church that we are not to remain childlike in our faith. We are to grow in mature manhood. 
This is something that happens as the, the Holy Spirit works in us and fills us and, and strengthens us, and the love of God edifies us. That word edify means to strengthen as well as build and to mature. That's what it means to edify. And so all of this happens in the fact that Jesus Christ himself has poured out himself in sacrificial love so that God's mercy and grace can be manifested in the world. The reason that this is important in verses 14 especially, as we are to grow to maturity in the faith, it is so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul is emphasizing here to the church in verse 14 that we are to be mature in Christ, we're to grow up in Christ for the very purpose of the fact that if we do not, we can be deceived by earthly deceit and cunning and distortions of the gospel. Now let me caution us here to remind us that, especially in our tradition as Southern Baptists, and more specifically at Sovereign Grace, as we do, try, we do tend to embrace more of the Reformed way of thinking, the more biblical way of thinking about things, the caution I have here is that in the church today, those who are, quote, hyper-Calvinists are the ones I think can really distort things, even though there's some important parts of Reformed doctrine that keep us focused on the Word, we can also get so high and mighty and arrogant in that, that we know everything and, and, we, can, and we can manipulate people with guilt that if you don't follow this, you're not a true Christian. Let's be cautious here and remind ourselves that if the Word of God is the importance of our focus, that if the gospel of Jesus Christ is the focus of gathering as a church, it is God Himself, through His sovereign grace, that inspires us, teaches us, and equips us to understand the truth of the gospel so that we are not deceived. We do not need to focus the ministry of the church on finding heresy, and that's the problem with the rise of hyper-Calvinism in the midst of the 20-year-old seminary students who have, or they're going to change the world. Amen? I love the passion. I love the fact that they want to return the church back to the focus of Scripture and God's sovereign mercy and grace and salvation. I love that. But the caution here is... The zeal there can be so, ze- so strong that instead of focusing on the love of Christ, we want to focus on finding those who are in error and the heresies. That's not the gospel. We're not here to go find heresy. We're not here to go condemn people because they don't think like us. We don't, we're not here to condemn people because they're not as biblical as we are. You see my point? Even though verse 14 is important that we are not to be deceived by human cunning and craftiness, that doesn't mean that's the center of ministry. That's not the center of the purpose of the church in order to find heresy to avoid it. Because when you do that, then, then you, run into the, you run into the point that you miss the fact that love is the center of the gospel. And the reason I bring this up is because, you know, in my history in seminary work and in graduate work and the, and the, and the academic side of the church, this seems to be the very focus of much of the academic training that seminarians are receiving today. It seems to be the very focus of much of the Bible studies that college-age young men and women are focused on these days. They'd rather go out and find heresy than actually spread the love of God. 
So yes, is it important that we do not be deceived by human deception? Yes, absolutely. We must be mature enough in Christ and wise enough in Christ that we recognize false doctrine when we hear it. Absolutely. And we should train our children and train each other in the church to recognize the true gospel so that when we hear the false gospel, it stands out. Absolutely. But that's not the center of the ministry. That's not the center of Christianity. That's not the center of the gospel. We're not here to find heresy. We're here to spread love because God himself loved us first. Amen? And so Paul in verse 14, leading into verse 15, he's cautioning the church here not to be deceived by every wind of doctrine because that's what a child does, right? A a child can be deceived by every little distraction, right? Try to go to Walmart with a kid. Where are they going to be dragging you? The toy section. Candy. I mean, yeah, the candy aisle at Walmart's great, right? And the toy section at Walmart is awesome. Now, I loved it when my boys were little. Whenever we would go shopping, I mean, I had to take my boys down the Star Wars aisle of the toys, right? And then, then you know, Marvel and the superhero movies came out, and we had to go, go down the toy aisle with all the superhero stuff. That was my excuse to be a kid again. Wonderful, nothing wrong. I loved those times. I wish my boys still wanted to do that. But the, the very definition of immaturity is instability. The very definition of being a child is that you are steered every which way because of your likes and your dislikes and your passions and, and wow, that's really cool. And then after they go do it, they come running home to mama crying because it wasn't so cool after all. That's the very definition of immaturity. So maturity in Christ means that we are stable. This, this idea here in verse 14 about human cunning, that, that translated word there, cunning, really means arts of deception. It, it comes from a Greek word that is tied to gamblers. Like if, if you're rolling dice, gamblers with dice, taking a gamble, that's, that, that's a form of deception. That's cunning. That is twisted truth. Do we come to Christ on a gamble? Or do we come to Christ with certainty and assurance and then we mature in that walk with him? That's what Paul is emphasizing here in verse 14. Now, this is important because now leading into verse 15, Paul now speaks about growing up in Christ. Because in verse 15, rather than being deceived by human cunning, and craftiness. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, Paul is talking here about speaking the truth, about speaking the truth of the gospel to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. But also, he's talking about speaking the truth in love to those who are outside of the faith as well. We do speak the truth of the gospel. We do not water down the truth of salvation because we don't want to offend. The very definition of the gospel was intended to offend. Jesus Christ intends intends today still to offend the sinner. Amen? Because without offending the sinner, the sinner will never recognize their status as sinners. You have to offend the sinner to get them to see exactly what they're missing, what they're truly looking for. When we are in sin, we are deceived about the truth. 
whatever is truly good, whatever is truly beautiful, whatever is truly honorable and, and worthy of following has been distorted in our fallen sinful world. Amen? We are deceived. In sin, we are in deception. And so Paul here in verse 15 says, rather than being deceived, speak the truth in love. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when somebody tells me the truth that I don't want to hear. We have this, we, we deceive ourselves in this self-image of ourselves. Like, in my mind, in my inner self, I'm 24 years old with a 32-inch waist, with plenty of hair left, but that's not who I am in reality. I'm 50 years old with a 30-something-inch inch waist, more than 32 and I don't have much hair left, right? Do, do, do we have an inner image of ourselves? With, without mirrors, we really wouldn't know what we look like, and we would have a false image of our, our perception. But we do have this inner self, this inner image, this inner idea of who we are. And sometimes it requires those who love us to speak truth to us. And so speaking truth to each other in the church that helps us grow up in every way into Christ. I think part of what Paul is speaking about here in verse 15 is speaking the truth is an attribute of maturity. Because remember in verses 13 and 14, he's talking about growing up to maturity in Christ, growing up to mature manhood. And part of that is speaking the truth to each other. I don't know about you, but teenagers hate being told what is true. That's part of being a teen- teenager, that, that teenage angst they call it, that leave me alone, mom and dad. I've got the world's answers all solved, and you, you are just stupid, mom and dad, right? Is that not the teenage mindset? And so that, that's an attitude of immaturity, isn't it? We don't like to hear it, but we, we all have gone through those angst years, and we've all come through them, hopefully unscathed, or whatever scars we've got were, or were those scars that remind us of what we were like. So it's important that we speak the truth to each other in love. Now, this, this speaking truth is necessary in order to contradict any deceit that we may be falling under. Someone may not understand or, or at least not recognize that they are in sin. Someone may not recognize how prideful they are. Someone may not recognize how foolish they are behaving until a loved one in the church, a loving brother or sister, or perhaps a spouse or a family member, comes to you and speaks into you in love. Listen, you may not see what you're doing, but let me tell you what everyone else sees. I hope as a church we can do that with each other. I think that is happening in these one-on-one times that I know is happening. I'm having some one-on-one time with some men. I know you ladies are getting together pretty regularly, have been for a while, one-on-one and just listening to each other. Trust me, I know our house, our phone is ringing a lot, and and we're talking to a lot of folks, and, and we know what's going on. That's good. We must be able to speak to each other in the body of Christ so that we can help each other recognize that we may be in an attitude or a moment of deceit. That's helpful. But we do this by speaking truth in love. What does this mean to speak truth? First of all, to speak truth has such a firm hold on us, right? God's truth in the church, God's truth in the Christian is so firm within us 
that all deceptive attacks from Satan cannot misdirect us. That's the point here. If we are in Christ, if we are mature in Christ, and we are in love as Christ's love is in us, then we have a stability, a firm hold upon us to where the deceptive attacks from Satan cannot misdirect us. Amen? That's the point. It's not that we're looking for heresy. It's not that we're looking for deceit. It's not that we're looking for those places where Satan is misdirecting us. It's the fact that we are so much involved in the love of Christ, and the love of Christ is so much inside of us that we are growing up in every way into Christ. And by by doing that, deceit cannot misdirect us. You see my point? So rather than worrying about finding heretics in the church, and rather than being worried about theological debates about this or that, let's focus more on growing up in the love of Christ. That, according to verse 15, will dispel any deceit and any heresy that comes our way anyway. That's the point. Rather than speaking, rather, rather Paul says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into Him. This growing up is another language of maturity. To grow, to to speak truth in love and to grow up in Him, in Christ, implies really that we are to be with love. In other words, this truth in love is actually speaking truth with love because we are with Christ and we are with that love He pours out upon us. Amen? To be with something or to be with someone implies that you are partners, side by side, interconnected. If you are with your spouse out in public, are you actually together or are the two of you walking separately from each other and no one knows that you're even married? That's why it's important Christian Couples, hold hands in public. Show each other, show everybody how much you love each other. Don't go running away from your spouse when you're in public and then they come following up after you later. Christian couples, I think, need to show what love is. And because Christ himself does not lead us that way, Christ is with us in love and in forgiveness. And likewise, we are with him in the same way. And wherever Christ goes, we go. Wherever we go, Christ goes. So this speaking truth in love actually implies speaking truth with love because we are with Christ and it's just naturally a part of who we are. And Christ will speak through us in this. And in doing so, we grow up. And we grow up stronger in this relationship with Christ. We grow up in every way into Him who is the head. We grow up in every way into Him who is Christ. We become more like Him every single day because we, we focus on the truth of the gospel rather than the deceit of Satan. Now, if the purpose of speaking the truth of the gospel is to connect us together... The purpose of speaking truth of the gospel is intended to draw us to the salvation of Christ. And this love is necessary in order to do that. Think about the the aspect of love here. There's two parts to love. Love comes out of this uh, uh, 
sense of beauty as well, right? When something is beautiful and lovely, it's, it has two factors. Number one, it, it calls to us, right? It, it, it speaks to us, right? If you're attracted to someone else or to something else, there is something alluring there, isn't it? And it's calling you to love it. The other part of this is that love and that beauty can break through whatever is causing you not to see it. You may not pay attention to whatever it is that you eventually fall in love with, but it is so strong that it breaks through the fog and grabs your attention. That's the love of Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that no matter where we are, that veil that's in front of us, that fog that we're looking through, will not hold back the love of Christ. Because Jesus Christ, that light that He shines, Jesus is the light that we see, Jesus is the light that we're looking for, and the salvation that He offers us is something that draws us to salvation. I had a conversation just yesterday with a college student who continually speaks about the free will. God does not expect us to be saved unless, he, unless we willingly want Him. I say yes, but I say no. Because there's no way to willingly want salvation. There's no way to willingly want Christ apart from God and His Holy Spirit drawing us, attracting us to salvation first. Amen? The, the, the desire for Christ is not something we manufacture on our own and we wake up one day and decide, okay, this is what I want. It is God changing our desires. It is God changing what we are attracted to because what we truly want is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we are deceived in this world, we're looking at other things as if we were really wanting Christ. That's the deceit. You see the point? And so Paul here in verse 15 is telling us that the purpose of speaking truth of the gospel is to connect us with salvation of Christ alone and that love is necessary in this. You can't berate anyone into the kingdom. You cannot drag them kicking and screaming into the church. It is only through the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ that anyone has any hope of salvation. It is only the love of Christ and the beauty of the gospel that anyone is attracted to and that's what draws them into the church and draws them into Christ and into relationship with Christ. It's nothing that we do on our own, even though God uses us in that process. It is the love of Christ alone that draws us. That's why when we speak truth, we have to speak truth in love. We cannot speak truth to people with aggression and hatefulness and judgment. Even though there's a place for judgment, there's a place for speaking truth to someone, but when we speak truth to somebody, it's got to be in that spirit of Christ. Amen? You see, in order for two things, two people to actually interact together, there has to be a mutual bond between them. So this is where Christ does call us to repentance, but then we willingly, as God changes our desires, willingly come to Him as well. Rhonda and I just celebrated our 13th anniversary last week. Woohoo! She's put up with me this long. And, you know, without the two of us 
willingly, mutually coming together, there is no marriage. If only one of us was out there doing our own thing and the other person has to come chasing after them, that's not a mutual connection, is it? The same imagery with our relationship with Christ. It is a mutual connection in love toward each other, Christ loving us first, us loving him because he loved us first. It's a mutual thing, drawn together through the Spirit. Now let's look at verse 16. You know, I've been preaching for 27 minutes on one verse. Is that all right? Can we go 27 minutes on the next verse? (gasps) Verse 16. As Paul continues to write, as we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Verse 16 here reminds us that it is Christ who is the head of the body, And if we as the church are the body of Christ, it is Jesus himself who is the head. Now, I don't know about you, but without my head, my body wouldn't work. Now, some of us, I mean, somebody may look at me from time to time and say, where is his head? You ever heard that phrase? Right? We, We may look at our teenagers and say, where is your head? We say that because without the head, the body doesn't work. If the head's not straight, the body won't be straight. If the head's not focused where it needs to be, the body's going to follow in the wrong direction. Without Jesus Christ as the head, the body of Christ has no direction. Because in verse 16, the, from, whom the, from whom the whole body is joined together means that this body of Christ is joined and held together through something that connects it. Think about your body. What's holding your body together? Your physical body right now. You've got a lot of things tying your body together. Your bone structure is connected with ligaments and tendons and muscles. And then outside of that, you've got a a circulatory system and a muscular system. And then your skin. Man, without my skin, without skin, we'd just all fall apart, wouldn't we? You've got to have something holding everything together. The body of Christ is the same way. The body of Christ has the head, Jesus Christ, and the rest of the body is joined and held together and equipped to be a body through this idea of love. You see, from the whole body, all of the growth and maturity in the individual Christian and the, and the growth and the maturity of the church and the body of Christ itself can only advance and grow because Christ has been made more aware and more full in ourselves. If we are not growing in Christ, the body disintegrates. Now, this is not just an individual thing. Yes, individually, each and every one of us need to be growing in Christ in order to strengthen our walk in the faith. But think about this corporately as the body called the body of Christ, the body of the church. If the church itself is not maturing, if the church itself is not growing closer and closer in Christ, what happens to the church? It goes astray. It scatters. 
And so Paul here writing to the Ephesian church is reminding them that the, the value of coming together, each and every person in the church is a member of the body, each and every person is a joint, each and every person is a finger, each and every person is a limb, each and every person is a part of the body that is necessary to work together. The only way that happens is not because we are intentionally on our own agreeing together. It's because Jesus Christ himself is that glue. Jesus Christ is that which connects every part of the body. Through the Holy Spirit, we are, tonight, we are united together. And that love of Christ is what unifies us while causing us to mature. Without your body working together, there is no growth. If there is a uh, if there if, if a child is born with some kind of a birth defect, there is something that is out of kilter. There's something out of alignment. Something is not connected right in the body, which then hinders the growth of that child. Same thing in the body of the church. If something is not correct, if something is out of order, if, if Christ is not unifying and connecting every part of the body of Christ together, then it's not going to grow. And so Jesus Christ as the head is where the entire body is directed and is joined and held together through love. And when that happens in verse 16, when each part is working properly, I love that, when each part is working properly, the body of Christ grows and matures. You see, without this mutual love together, right? when each part is working together, this body is growing and it builds itself up in love. Look at that last part of verse 16. When everything is in harmony and working the way it should be in relationship to Christ then the body of Christ builds what? Builds itself. The body of Christ builds itself up in love. When things are working right, you don't have to sit there and maintain it every single minute of every single day. It's, and it functions right, it's going to grow. Now, you have, to, you have to maintain it in the proper order, right? Think about your physical body. You've got to feed it. You've got to rest it. Think about your soul. Do you do the same thing to your soul? We feed our body, we exercise our body, but do we feed and exercise the soul? When we are stretched too thin and have too many responsibilities on our plate to get done, and we get stressed out, and we have no room for rest and reflection in the Word of God and with each other, we are not feeding the soul. And that's one of the things that Satan will do to, to deceive us. He has put into the church a, a, a lie that success looks like this. And success looks, what that looks like is success is working hard, not only as individuals in our careers, but also working hard in the church. And if we're not doing something in the church, then we must not be loving God and we have to get busy. And what happens is we create programs and we create events and so that it looks like we're working for the kingdom, but in reality, all we're doing is wearing ourselves out. As much as I love Vacation Bible School and I think we need to continue to think about Vacation Bible School, let's remember that Vacation Bible School is not an end-all and because at the end of Vacation Bible School, everybody's exhausted and nobody gets followed up with and nobody gets discipled and we, oh great, we did Vacation Bible School, let's go to sleep. I love Vacation Bible School, but when it gets to be so stressful, what are we doing? Just like Easter's coming up here in the next few weeks. Resurrection Sunday is April the 21st. 
Do we need to be praying about that day? Do we need to be inviting people to it? Yes. Can we use this time of the year to invite people to church? Absolutely. But that's not the salvation that saves them. We are not to be felt we're not to be made guilty because we don't do certain things. Now, if we're lazy and we don't want any kind of evangelism, that's a different argument. But if we get so busy that we lose the love that is necessary to draw people to Christ, then we're missing the point. Without mutual love between Christ and the body, then there cannot be anything maintained. The nourishment for the body of Christ comes from Christ Himself. If we are nourishing our spirit and we're nourishing our bodies with anything but Christ Himself, we are really just eating junk food. How healthy is that? You see, the nourishment that the body of Christ needs is that Jesus Christ is, is the head, and, and as Jesus loves on us, it, that love pours through the veins and the connections throughout the body. That's what verse 16 says, to where each part then begins to work properly in harmony as it's supposed to. But when this mutual love, and when I say mutual love, that's not just love between us as, as Christians. This mutual love is the mutual love between Christ and us and us with Him. There is this two-way two love road between Jesus and you. When that mutual love is working correctly, when that mutual love is focused on and encouraged and nourished, then the church thrives. But when that mutual love between us and, the, and Jesus Christ, our head, is not present, then the church scatters. I think we can all testify that we have seen or been in part of bodies of Christ where you just shake your head and say, where is the love of Christ here? For Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, let us focus our energies, our desires, our everything on Jesus Christ, the head of this body. When that is in proper alignment, when Jesus is loving us and we are loving Him, then the body grows, the church grows, the kingdom grows, it strengthens, it builds itself up because that's how God has designed it. That's the point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-3, through 3, Paul writes on this same topic about love building up. Love itself edifies through love of Christ. And he's writing this in connection with those who are, they've got a lot of head knowledge when it comes to whether or not we should eat meat sacrificed to idols. And there were a lot of theological debates. And I've got this wisdom. And I have these answers. And he said, you know what, without all of that, without love in the midst of all that, knowledge is nothing. Knowledge puffs up the spirit. Knowledge puffs up the pride. But it is love that humbles us. It is love that focuses us. And it is love that edifies us, builds up the body. Now, what, how do we apply this? No one who is truly a member of Christ's body will be anything to himself or herself. Anyone who is truly a part of the body of Christ will not be focused on the self. 
You're not going to be, I want this in the church, and I want that in the church, and pastor, why didn't you do this, and, and why don't we have this program, and why don't we go out and do that? If, if it's just what you want, it's not of Christ. But if it's what Christ wants, there's going to be a humility between the members of the body, and there's going to be a harmony and an agreement up among the body, and there's not going to be this struggle and this discourse and, and, and this breakdown. There's not going to be any dysfunction here. You see, anyone who is truly a member of the body of Christ will not be arrogant. Anyone who is truly a member of the body of Christ will not look for their own self-growth and their own self-gratification. They're not going to come to Christ, what's in it for me? They're going to come to Christ and they're going to come to church with, what is in it for Jesus? How can I be a part of what Christ is doing rather than what is Christ going to give me today? When the attitude is, I'm coming to church to build myself up. I'm coming to church to get my needs met. I'm coming to church so that I can be edified and and my soul be healed. There's a part of that it is needed when we are broken. Yes, come to church. Come to Jesus. He will restore you. Yes, He will. But He won't do it for your own selfishness. He'll do it for His glory. And that only happens when we come to Him broken and humble I am in need of restoration. I am in need of forgiveness. I am in need of salvation. But when we are quote-unquote mature Christians, we don't keep coming to church and we don't keep coming to Christ with gimme, 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 gimme. It's dear God, pour into me so that I can do for others. God, pour your love into me so that I can love others. God, pour your love into me so that I can be Christ to everyone else. After our restoration in the blood of Christ, after our salvation and forgiveness through the blood of Christ, and we become part of the body, then and only then do we begin to mature and grow so that it's no longer about me. It's about them. It's about other. It's about God. It's about His Son. Just remember that what we read today in John chapter 3, verse 30. A very famous passage in the Gospels where John the Baptist declares that this Christ that you're worried about who's taking away our baptism business. That's really what was going on. In John chapter 3, when John's disciples come to him, John the Baptist is baptizing. He has a great ministry, and he's making a big name for himself. And his disciples come to him all worried because this, this other guy, Jesus, is baptizing too, or at least his disciples were baptizing, and they're taking away our business. What does John the Baptist say? This Christ must increase, but I must decrease. That's the attitude of love at play here. Speaking the truth in love and growing up in Christ means that Christ increases in us and the old self of us decreases. If we are not decreasing ourselves and increasing Christ, we're not growing. If we as a church are more worried about what the church down the street is doing and worried about them stealing our business... We're not growing up in Christ. Let's focus on what Jesus has for us to do in His kingdom. Let's focus on what God has to do in our families. And when we do that, we'll mature, we'll grow. That's what Paul's words are for us here. Amen? Let me close this in prayer.
Father God, we thank you for your word. And dear God, we thank you for reminding us of our focus. Jesus, you are our head. You, dear Lord, are directing us in every step. You loved us. You continue to love us. You're pouring out your love in us. And dear God, I pray that we are growing as a result to where we are reducing our own focus and increasing our focus on you. More importantly, dear Jesus, I pray that you are growing in each and every one of us. And likewise, dear Christ, dear Lord, dear Jesus, grow in this church. I pray right now, Father, that those who are here who may be struggling with this connection with Jesus Christ, that they would come and pray or pray where they're at or focus on the words that you are pouring into their spirit. Dear God, if you are drawing someone to you, then Lord, I pray that they would hear you and surrender. Use this time, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.